Well, welcome back to the Rugby League in My Opinion podcast. I'm Oliver from Rugby League in My Opinion here, joined by my good friend Cooper. Now, today we are going to be taking a look back at the 2005 NRL season. Some of you may remember when we did this with the 2010 season about a year ago. The 2005 season, I guess you could say sort of similar to the 2010 season in the aspect that it was a bit crazy, a little bit different. Um, but I think this takes it to an even further extreme. Uh, Cooper, how are you today, man? Um, yeah, I'm good. Just I'm just trying to stay cool. It's starting to get fairly hot. It must be hotter in Western Sydney, though, I can imagine. But, um, yeah, I'm good. Well, you know what? We've had a heat wave pretty much for the past three days. But last night, um, we had, like, a huge thunderstorm, which is oh. obviously caused by the heat. But um, this morning, sort of because of it, it's not too bad. Oh, yeah. Enough. So we're doing okay at the moment. But then again, within probably the next two days or so, that'll completely change and we'll be back to, I guess, what we can call normal for summer these days. So it is what it is, man. But um, are you ready to get into this 2005 NRL season? Yeah, let's get into it. Awesome, man. Well, sort of heading into the year, uh, we finished 2004 with the Bulldogs winning the Premiership, of course. Uh, The other three teams who at least made the preliminary final, uh, the Sydney Roosters would go into the grand final and lose to the the Bulldogs, winning their first minor Premiership in 2004. We had the Penrith Panthers, the defending Premiers, losing to the Bulldogs in the preliminary final. And the seventh-placed North Queensland Cowboys, who were playing in their first final series ever, they actually beat the Bulldogs in the first week of the finals, beat the Broncos in the second week of the finals, and then lost to the Roosters in the preliminary finals. So they nearly uh, they nearly did what they did in 2017, pretty much. But I guess it was even more impressive, considering they'd never made a final series before. So heading into 2005, those four teams were on top of the league and they were sort of expected to continue to do well into 2005. But as we are going to get to here, um, that, wasn't exactly a, that wasn't exactly the case. What do you remember from the 2005 season? Just, I guess, off the, I guess I'm going to say off the top of your head, but... People need to keep in mind, yep. in 2005, I was five, you were four. Uh, yep. But just when someone says to you, the 2005 NRL season, what comes to mind? Um, I think that grand final between the Tigers and the Cowboys, which you'll we'll get into later, yep. pops into most people's minds. And also uh, the surge of... Uh, John, I had a mind blank then, Jonathan Thurston, because obviously he was coming off the bench in 2004 and then has a Daly M season in 2005, and the whole Andrew Johns come back to origin um, thing stands out to me. But other than that, not a whole lot. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. We'll get into this ladder now. Of course, only 15 teams at the time. The Gold Coast Titans were actually announced to be joining the competition in 2007 in 2005. So we knew the Titans were coming, but um, they were not in the league just yet. So last on the ladder, 15th, the Newcastle Knights, which I think was a bit of a surprise to many people considering they just come off a premiership in 2001 and I believe 
02, 03, 04. They might not have made the finals every year, but I know that they were still sort of prominent in that fixture, of course. You brought him up before Andrew Johns was pivotal. However, he would only play half the season for Newcastle, I think in part due to injury, and he did go over to the Super League uh, with the Warrington Wolves to end the season. However, despite coming last, Newcastle actually won eight games. They lost 16, but they won eight games. Now, we don't see too many wooden spooners uh, actually win eight games, and I believe they would have won most of those games with Andrew Johns there. Do you remember much about Newcastle at the time, I guess, or is it more Um, just Andrew Johns was the guy? I don't really remember anything about Newcastle back then, just pretty much Andrew Johns. But, yeah, looking at the ladder now, you're right. Newcastle coming last with eight eight wins and then Parramatta coming first with 16 wins. Like, that's a very small gap between first and last. Oh, 100%. And I think there was sort of a, a lot more upsets in this season. I think Newcastle sort of knocked off a couple of teams that were in the top eight once Andrew Johns returned as well, um, which sort of helped, I guess, with their credibility. But you're right, looking, I haven't actually made that connection yet. But, yeah, they were only... Well, that's... That's, what, oh, eight wins off the top of the ladder, which, I mean, it, it is a lot, but eight rounds of footy, that's not even half a season. So there you go. Anyway, we move on now. I guess we'll go through uh, a couple of the teams in the bottom eight now and uh, talk about the interesting ones. Canberra, um, I don't think they were a very good team at the time for a period there. So they came second last, and they came second last by two points, nearly getting the spoon themselves. We had the South Sydney Rabbitohs in 13th again. They had come back in 2002 um, from extinction and just done nothing up until I think about 07 was their first final series. In 12th, now this is one I want to talk about, the defending premiers. The team who in 2002 looked certain to win the premiership before the salary cap scandal. In 2003, they made the preliminary final before being eliminated. And in 2004, won the Premiership. In 2005, 12th. Bit of a surprise there. That's a huge surprise. Did they lose anyone significant? Like, obviously, they lost JT, but he wasn't, like, a big part of their team at the time. Did they lose anyone significant? They lost Steve. Hence the drop-off? They lost Steve Price to the Warriors, who was their captain. However, with all due respect to Steve Price, and he was an amazing player and an inspirational leader at the Bulldogs, they still had plenty of players. Um, Shifty Sherwin was still the halfback, Brent Sherwin. He was a serviceable yep. half. At 5'8 was Braith Nasta. Now, I think this is probably around the time. Now, whether you agree with it or not, uh, the consensus of many people is that Braith Nasta is the most overrated player in NRL history. That's just the tag that he has received. And I sort of think this might have been the peak of that. So he might not have had the best year, which I guess could be a contributing factor. But you've still got players as well, like Willie Mason and Sonny Bill Williams. I don't particularly remember them getting injured or anything during that season either. So, yeah, it, it's it's a surprise. But with that being said, they were five points off the top eight. Like, it's still yep. relatively close. Um, Anyway, we've got the Warriors in 11th. In 10th, another surprise, the Penrith Panthers, who 
03 won the premiership, 04 made the prelim. You'd at least think they'd probably make the top eight again. Um, however, Penrith did have a bit of a different look side, but they still had the same spine in 05 as they did in 03 and 04. They had a fullback, Reese Wesser, who had that amazing year in 2003. 5'8 was Preston Campbell. At halfback, you had Craig Gower, the captain, the former Australian captain. And at hooker, you had Luke Prittis. So you still had that core, and you still did have other players in the side who played in that 03 grand final, who played throughout 2004. There were some differences, though. But... I don't know. Maybe maybe it was a sign a sign that the Penrith side maybe needed to change things up a bit. That's all I can really think of there for Penrith. Yep. Something else that's interesting, they finished their points dif- differential, so their for and against was zero. They scored 554 points and they conceded 554 points. Now, this is very rare in the NRL. But it doesn't seem rare at the moment because Cronulla, I believe, actually achieved the same thing this year when finishing eighth. Yeah. I forget the exact uh, points they had for and against, but I know that it equaled zero. And then in ninth, the Sydney Roosters, who came off their first minor premiership in, I believe it was 75 years, 75 years, or a minor, sorry, since 1975, in 2002 won the premiership. 2003 made the grand final, finished first and made the grand final in 2004, and then 2005 missed the finals. Of course, it's only by two points, but again, it's one of those that you would not expect to happen at all. With that being said, Brad Fittler retired the year before. Ah, yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, but then again, if a side's making a grand final three years in a row... The loss of one player, I'd argue, should not have as big an impact. Sure, it has an impact, sees them drop down the ladder a bit. But it shouldn't see you go from first, playing in three straight grand finals, to ninth. But I guess it shows the impact Brad Fittler had on that Sydney Roosters team. Uh, We move on to the top eight now. Manly finishing in eighth. Now, around this time, obviously, Manly had gone to win the Premiership in 2008. They'd make the Grand Final 07, um, and they'd win in 2011. But this was, I think, sort of the first year they'd made the, the final since returning from being the Northern Eagles. We got Cronulla in seventh, who were a decent side. Melbourne finishing in sixth. Now, I think this was their first final series in a few years, and I believe this is the first year of the salary cap scandal. If not, yep. um, it was sometime in 2005 where it began. So I think it was maybe even in the off-season of 05, but they did finish sixth here, and we'll get into the finals in a minute and see how they went. Now, fifth, the North Queensland Cowboys. We just had a quick... Drop out there, a bit of technical difficulties, but that's all good. Uh, we were talking about the North Queensland Cowboys finishing in fifth, and they were the only team out of those four teams we were talking about from 2004 who made the finals in 2005. And if you look at those four teams, the Bulldogs, Roosters, Panthers, and Cowboys, the Cowboys would probably be the ones that you'd say, okay, they're most likely going to miss 
the top eight in 2005, but they ended up being the only team that made the top eight. Jonathan Thurston, of course, instrumental. We'll get to him. In fourth, the West Tigers, um, and we'll get to their run. We'll, we'll take a special look at the Tigers soon. In third, the Brisbane Broncos. They're always thereabouts. But the top two are interesting because they weren't really contenders the year before. They finished tied first on 36 points, but the Eels had the better for and against. In second, the St. George Illawarra Dragons, and in first, the Parramatta Eels. Now, the Parramatta Eels are someone I want to bring up to you, Poop, because the team, yep. five, they were riding high, finished first in the ladder. I think for most of the season, it was sort of a lot of people thought, okay, we're guaranteed an Eels-Dragons grand final. Didn't turn out that way, but would you be able to give us a little bit of, I guess, insight or give us just your two cents on uh, how how that makes you feel, seeing Parramatta on top of the ladder in 05? Um, I'll be honest. I actually had no idea they went this well in 2005. I, I was... um. I knew they made the finals, but I had no idea they won the minor premiership. But, um, yeah, it's typical Parramatta fashion. Get get your hopes up and they let you down. But, um, yeah. Well, I'm telling you, I'll tell you, I've just scrolled down a little bit here that shows the ladder progression on yep. Wikipedia. Have you got that up as well? Uh, I'm looking at the finals title at the moment. I'll, I'll go up and look at that. Yeah, so at ladder progression, it's interesting – Parramatta actually were only first on the ladder in round 25 and round 26. For the majority of the season, Brisbane were actually first from round 9 to round 24. Yep. So Brisbane showing a bit of dominance there. And then we look at a team like the Dragons weren't even in the top eight until round 14 and end up finishing second. Then we go to the Tigers. We might as well touch on it now. They yep. were outside the eight for the middle chunk of the season and then had a big run home, which we will uh, look at more closely soon. Um, not too many, um, n- nothing else too out of the ordinary, I guess. Um, interesting to see the Dragons were last in round three and round four, and the only other team to be last on the ladder for the entire year were the Newcastle Knights, but... Looking at this, they won one, two, three, four, five, six. They won six of their last seven games. So I think that might have been when Joey came back and yeah. ended up having. They finished last, but they had a decent finish to the season. And yeah, so just looking at this ladder overall, is there anything that stands out to you? Um, uh, do you have any takeaways from this ladder? Uh, not really. I, again, I guess we'll get into it when we talk about the finals, but um, for the Tigers to come fourth and the Cowboys to come fifth, like it's not a huge deal, but for those two teams to meet in the grand final, it's a bit out of the ordinary. Like you don't see that all the time now, fourth v fifth type of grand final. But um, yeah, I guess we'll get into that when we touch on the finals. Well, it's going to be hard for us to see something like this for the next 20 years or so, the way things have been looking. Now, I'm not going to say that at, that the Roosters or Storm will make the grand final every year for the next 20 years. I mean, they could, but 
I feel like we won't see. Two, I don't. I think we'll at least see one of the top sides make the grand final for the next twenty years. Also, just looking at the Roosters and Storm, yeah. I think we'll probably we'll probably see that because in 05 we saw two teams who finished the season decent, especially the Tigers, were in a bit of form, but they weren't a top team like Brisbane or Parramatta at the time. Because if this was now 2020, we would most likely, sure, the Tigers maybe make the grand final, but instead of versing the Cowboys, they're probably versing a Brisbane or a Parramatta in that grand final. And whether they win it or not is a different story, you know what I mean? So it'll, it, I don't think we will see sort of a fourth versus fifth grand final for, well, I don't think we can with the new system, but um, I don't think we would see a, a grand final where fourth is the highest position team um, yeah. for a long time. Uh, the last time we saw it, I believe, was 2009. Obviously, they got the premiership stripped, but Melbourne would beat Parramatta in the grand final, fourth versus eighth. Uh, but yeah, that's all. I, I don't think, sorry, that we would see something like that again, at least for a while. Uh, do you want to get into the final series now? We'll see how. Yep. The, we'll see the state of play, how things played out. Now, you want to talk about crazy. I mean, the first thing here, I've just looked at it for a second. We had a grand final preview, fourth versus fifth, the Tigers up against the Cowboys, Telstra Stadium, 26,000, which is a decent crowd at the now ANZ Stadium, considering there was a Queensland-based side uh, in the game up against the New South Wales-based side. The Tigers would win this one 50-6. to six. Jesus. I mean, and when we get into the, the Tigers' regular season and look through the games in a minute, that result will look even more shocking. I mean, I'd ask you for a takeaway from it, but I sort of feel like I can gather your reaction, like to think these teams are about to play in a grand final in a couple of weeks. And while the Tigers won it, you know, I guess relatively well, they didn't flog the Cowboys by any means. But three weeks earlier, I mean, 50 to 6... Yeah, you don't say all the last time. Oh, you don't see games in the finals really that high scoring. I guess the Eels and the Broncos game recently comes to mind, but other than that, like fifty to six in a finals game is pretty, pretty crazy. Yeah, and I, I guess considering as well, like at the time, obviously no one knew these two would be in the grand final, but you look at that result, and I'd say most people are thinking, well, the Cowboys will be out next week. Yep. Uh, well, we go on now to the Broncos hosting the Storm, third versus sixth. And, you know, with hindsight, we know that these two would verse in the grand final the next year. Um, Melbourne getting an upset in Brisbane here, winning 24 to 18, 25,000 at Suncorp. That's, uh, that's, probably, that's actually below um, average, I guess, now or probably even that season, but we'll get into attendance soon. But Melbourne winning that one, 24 to 18, 
And I believe it was in the off-season of 2005 going into 06 is when the salary cap scandal began. But this is pre-cap scandal. And Melbourne looked to be building something nice already. So maybe... I'm trying to find a reason as to why they would cheat the cap. I guess the reason is that they knew they wouldn't be able to keep all all of those players together for much longer and wouldn't be as successful. Maybe, yep. but they... I mean, they they still did all right in 05. Uh, we go now... We've got a, a derby here, um, sort of southern, southern Sydney, South Coast derby, I guess you could say. The Dragons in second, defeating the seventh-place Sharks. 28-22, so a close game. 19,000 at Wynn Stadium, so that's not too far off capacity. That'd probably be a good game to go back and watch, 28-22. Um, Parramatta defeating Manly, uh, traditional rivals. Parramatta... 46 to 22, so still relatively high scoring, um, even for Manly, but Parramatta in the end getting it done, 19,710 at Parramatta Stadium. Anything to take away from the qualifying finals here? Um, I guess just the score lines, it's quite a high scoring. Besides that, yeah. uh, besides that Broncos-Melbourne game, which even that is still kind of fairly high scoring for a finals game, 18-24, but... Yeah, just teams just doesn't seem like anyone was playing defense. They were just tries galore. Yeah, well, I was just looking that Storm Broncos game would probably be just about or a bit above what you can expect from a finals game today. Yep. We obviously had Penrith and South Sydney have a game similar. It wasn't 24 to 18, but what was it, 22 to 18, 24, 20, I've yep. already forgot. something. That. But it yeah. was yeah, it was around that, and that that was I think nearly the highest scoring finals game this season. If not, it was close. Canberra and Cronulla might have topped it, but in high sc- high scoring games definitely weren't as prominent. Um, sorry, they were more prominent back then than they are today. Fifteen years later, onto the semi now, the semi finals. The Cowboys defeat the Storm 24 to 16, which I guess going into this one would have been an upset, weirdly enough. Fifth versus sixth. However, the Cowboys are coming off a 50 to 6 loss, and Melbourne are coming off a close win against the team who was coming first for the majority of the season. So I don't know. Would you count this one as an upset? I guess in hindsight, sort of looking at these results. Would you have expected yeah. Melbourne yeah. to win this one? Yeah, you'd, you'd think so. Especially like you touched on, um, the Cowboys coming off a 50-6 to six defeat would automatically make them outsiders, I think. And with Melbourne um, winning, well, I don't know, well, but six points against the Broncos, um, who were coming third, like you touched on, I think Cowboys would have came into this game as outsiders. Yeah, definitely. Now, for everything that was going well in 2005 and everything the NRL was doing right for attendance, here's one blunder. This game took place at Aussie Stadium, which today is known as Allianz Stadium. 16,000, which was still a solid crowd, but why would you have a finals game between the Melbourne Storm and North Queensland Cowboys in Sydney? 
That is, that's dumb. That's just so stupid. Now, when we get to attendances, maybe there's a reason as to why, which we'll get to. However, however, I know this is not a one-time deal. I know that back then, um, it, I believe that teams, if there was two teams from outside of Sydney, they would play in Sydney, which is a bit odd. I mean, in the qualifying final, though, we had Suncorp for the Broncos-Storm game. I guess because the Broncos, they play at Suncorp. That's their ground. But, yeah, I don't know about that one. That seems like a bit of a bonder. But then again, 16,000, that's a bit under half capacity. It's still a it's still a solid crowd. Um, we go now to the Tigers knocking off the Broncos. 34 to 6 at the same stadium the day after, so Aussie Stadium. This time, 36,563. So you can see a definite difference. Um, But the Tigers to knock off the Broncos here, as I said before, Brisbane were coming first for the majority of the season. So for Brisbane to end up going out in straight sets, it's not the exact same because another quick dropout there, but we power on. I don't know, maybe a Brisbane Broncos fan is hacking into the system and doesn't want us to talk about them being beaten 34-6 in a semi-final. Um, but the comparison I was going to make for Brisbane to come first for most of the year, then go out in straight sets in the finals, is not too dissimilar to what happened in 09 to the Dragons. Now, the Dragons did actually win the minor premiership, but they went out in straight sets. And I'd say at this point, a lot of people are still tipping Brisbane to at least make the grand final. So to go out in the second week of the finals, uh, no good. Anything to bring up here about the, the second week of the finals? Um, no, nah, the Tigers just flying high, it seems. they uh, Two very convincing wins in two weeks. Um, who was the other... Oh, Melbourne, North Queensland. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. Oh, yep. That was all right. Had a mind blank then. Yeah. Like we already touched on that. A uh, bit of an upset. But yeah, Tigers 34-6. They knew how to score points. That's for sure. Oh, 100%. The preliminary finals now. Now, this is where it gets a bit interesting because I think... Well, the Dragons supporters and many people still would have been probably expecting the Dragons to make the grand final. However, with the role that the Tigers have been on the past couple of weeks, it definitely wouldn't have been a huge upset, the Tigers winning this one 20-12. Especially when you consider the Dragons only beat Cronulla by six points two weeks before and Cronulla had finished seventh on the ladder. So this one, although the Dragons fans would have been shattered, and they would have been thinking this is the closest we've come to a premiership since 1999 when they lost the grand final. Um, they were beaten by a side that I think they realistically could have been beaten by at this point in front of 40, 41,260 at Aussie Stadium, which is just about ca- capacity, if not about a 1,000 or a couple thousand off. So huge crowd here to witness this preliminary final between the Tigers and the Dragons. And here comes the big upset. And I've seen Parramatta fans talk about it since. I've seen 
highlights of the game since and after the game. They show fans, Parramatta fans in the crowd, and they are, like, crying. Parramatta had finished first on the ladder. They had beaten Mountainly pretty handily in the first week of the finals. They were, if there was any other team other than the Tigers who were in form and flying high, it was the minor premiers, the Parramatta Eels. They come up against the Cowboys side who got beaten 50-6 two weeks before. A Cowboys side who just got past the Melbourne Storm who they still finished higher than on the ladder. And then at Telstra Stadium, in front of 44,327 people, over half capacity, they lose 29-0. What can you say? Oh, I can imagine what the Parramatta fan... Because um, the crowd, 44,000-odd, I'm assuming about like 35,000 of those fans would have been Parramatta fans. So, yeah, the scenes would have been fairly upsetting. But 29-0, that's, that, that's pretty impressive from the Cowboys. You've got to give it to them. Not even letting um, the Parramatta Eels, who scored 46 weeks a couple of weeks... Uh, 46 points a couple of weeks prior to not score a point in a prelim... It's fairly impressive from the Cowboys. Um, yeah, like I was saying, pretty typical of Parramatta to get everyone's hopes up and let them down. But, um, yeah, I haven't seen the game. I didn't. Re- I don't really know what the Parramatta team was looking like back then. But, um, yeah, it's disappointing nonetheless. Yeah, well, I think this is the year before Jared Hayne actually debuted. And there were guys like Luke Burt, Nathan Highmarsh sort of in their prime. Uh, we had Nathan Kalis there as well, who I believe was the captain. Tim Smith, who would win Rookie of the Year, we'll get to him soon. He was the halfback. He had, I think he still has the record for most assists in a season. So he was instrumental. Um, Just trying to think. I saw a podcast with Tim Smith not too long ago. I think he was on the Rugby League Guru podcast. And he tells a story all year. Him and Tamana Tahu had this connection where... Um, they'd sort of get near the line and he'd put in a kick to Tamana Tahu or like a cutout ball or something and they just sort of intrinsically knew and it would pretty much pay off every single time and Tahu would go over and and score. And it was pretty yep. much this thing, this reliable thing that they'd gone back to all year and it worked. It had worked all year. The one team who worked it out and the one team who were able to prevent Tahu from scoring or prevent Smith from getting a good good enough kick away or a good pass were the Cowboys in this game. So he talks about, I guess, how the Cowboys, I guess, were the team who in the end were able to work out the Eels. And they yep. worked them out a week before the grand final. So I guess it goes to show as well, it doesn't matter where you finish on the ladder or your recent form, being able to work a team out and being able to at least cut off one of their main forms of getting points, their main sources of getting points, can be huge. And obviously it worked to great extent because Parramatta didn't score a point in the game. But Thurston and his Cowboys, who were a very good team as well, end up beating the Eels. I don't think it should be considered in hindsight too much of an embarrassment to be beaten by JT's Cowboys in this one. But at the time, Parramatta fans would see this as 
just astronomical. Luckily for them, the internet was not... Well, the internet... Sorry, I sound stupid. The internet was around. I think even Facebook was around, but it was nowhere near... Social media was nowhere near as popular as it is today. Can you imagine the state that social media is today, back in 2005, when the Parramatta Eels, the minor premiers, lose 29-0 in a preliminary final? They would have gotten hammered, especially the Eels, because not... It's either you love them or you hate them, it seems, but... um... Yeah, they would have been thrashed. Oh, definitely. Like, the, I, I think to the I Hate Parramatta Reels Facebook page that I know is out there and has got, has built up a, a nice following there, they would have loved it. But, well, we're on to the grand final now. The Tigers defeat the Cowboys 30-6. to Just, I guess, a little bit of a difference from that 50-6 to thrashing in the... Um, in the the first week of the finals, I actually I've lost it, but I used to have this game on DVD, and it's since been uploaded to YouTube. Like on the NRL's YouTube, you can watch the full two thousand and five grand final. Yep. Interesting to see. Uh, the Cowboys actually started off hot, and they were the better team for the first half. I think Matt Bowen scoring a first try in this one, and there'd be a full ten minutes before the Tigers would get on the board of course, through Bryce Gibbs and then that Pat Richards try, the Benji Marshall flick pass, would lead 12-6 at halftime. But then the Tigers would put three three tries on them in the second half with Travis Norton going over in the 55th minute in between, I guess, that flurry of tries in the second half. And Matt Singh getting... Well, I would say a consolation try at the end, but then Todd Payton would get one literally on full time just to to put some icing on the cake there. 82,453 people at the grand final. That's not the biggest grand final attendance we've had at ANZ Stadium. And I'm pretty much just taking into account since the renovations because there was about 100,000 in 99, but it's impossible to reach that now. Clive Churchill medalist was Scott Prince, who I think really controlled the game in this one. Benji will obviously always be remembered for the flick pass and the stepping, and he had a great game. But whereas, and I've seen this with highlights of 2005 as well, where Benji Marshall would do those flashy plays and run the ball and stuff, it was still Scott Prince's side. He still controlled them in attack. He was still the main man. Uh, pretty much, but I guess just didn't get the plaudits because he wasn't on the highlight reels anywhere near as much as Benji Marshall. <clears throat> so, 2005 Grand Final. Oh, what are your thoughts on it? Have you seen much of the game? I've seen, like, brief highlights of the game, um, <clears throat> but I've never watched the whole thing through. Now, hearing it's on YouTube, I'll honestly probably, like, watch it after we are done this podcast, but um, obviously, yeah, that Benji flick pass is pretty iconic. I think the Paddy Richards fan goes fairly underrated sometimes as well because yeah. that was a really – who was it on, Matt? I think it might have been on Matt, Matt Singh. Yeah. Yeah, he – it was so clean. It was like right on his throat and it was just – yeah, it was such a clean fend. And, yeah, Paddy Richards still had a fair bit of work to do. Whilst Benji did a lot um, and put Paddy Richards in a great position – he still had a lot of work to do to get to the line. So, yeah, I feel like he's unappreciated in that moment. But obviously, you're going to highlight Benji because look at what he did. He's a freak. He runs half the field and flicks behind his back. So, um, 
yeah, not a whole lot to really take away from that game. I've seen some of the um, interviews afterwards um, with Chris Hyington. He's a crack up. But, um, yeah, overall a good game. And, um, yeah, I'll definitely watch it after this. Yeah, well, while we're on the topic of the Tigers, we might as well do a quick run-through of their season just so you can see how crazy it was, I guess. So, round one, lose to Parramatta, 28-12. They then go on to win their next three. They then go on to lose their next four. So, we're heading into round 10 now. They win two in a row against Newcastle and Canberra. Last and second last. Makes a bit of sense there. Lose their next two against the Warriors and the Storm. Then they beat Cronulla. Then they lose 40-22 to against Brisbane in round 15, who at the time were first on the ladder. Heading into round six... Well, after round 16, they are 12th on the ladder. Round 16, the Tigers are 12th Jeez. on the ladder. However, it's in round 16 where they win their first of eight wins in a row. Let me just double-check that. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. They'd win eight in a row, and that would be fourth. So at the end of that, that was round 24, the end of that eight-week winning streak and I guess the reason as to why when I alluded before the 50 to 6 win against the Cowboys was so surprising is because they would actually lose their last two games of the season they'd lose to Melbourne in round 25 and they'd lose to Penrith in round 26 so despite despite the eight wins heading into the finals the Tigers were actually out of form a little bit they were out of sorts so I'd say if even if you weren't tipping the Cowboys in that first week of the finals, which I'd say a lot of people would be considering the Tigers were coming off two losses, you definitely wouldn't tip a 50-6 to six score line. Um, so what are your thoughts on, on hearing that the Tigers run? We're obviously going to focus on the eight wins in a row to go from 12th yep. to 4th. I know, yeah. I know you're a Parramatta fan, a huge Parramatta fan, fan of that 2009 season as well but for me that doesn't quite compare just because the para went from about 11th to 8th wasn't it and they still had a winning run but this is this is from obscurity to finishing in the top four like yeah am i right to think they had a a very young side or am i wrong I... i think you know what i think it was actually mixed um, yeah. Because in sort of 2010, 2011, when they would finish in the top four those seasons, they wouldn't make the grand final. That's when they had an influx of youth. So yep. you, you sort of got your guys coming through now. Your, your Todd Paytons, your Bryce Gibbs, your Benji Marshalls, who would go on to be stalwarts for the next the next few years. Keith Galloway as well, although I'm not sure he was at the club at that point. But you actually had guys like, Paddy Richards, who was about to leave to go to the Super League, he would come back. Um, guys like Ben Galea, Mark O'Neill, uh, Scotty Prince, who would go to the Titans in 07. So you did have sort of, not necessarily older players, but established stars who were on the way out within the okay. couple of years. Yeah. Oh, it just kind of sounds like the way their season went, it just sounds like the way a, a young side would go, how they'd win a few games and then they'd lose a few games. It just... That's why I thought they could have possibly been a fairly young side. But, um, yeah, eight in a row at the end of the season. Well, not right at the end of the season because obviously they'd lost their, they'd lost their last couple of games. But, um, yeah, that's impressive, impressive in itself. And, again, I 
um, had no clue that they were in that position with that uh, after round 16, they were coming 12th or, um, or something. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea they were in that position. And um, with Parramatta, how uh, they slid into eighth to go from 12th to fourth is much more impressive. I think. Um, yeah. I don't know if it would have been other teams around them as well, dropping off that allowed them Absolutely. to get to fourth, but, yeah, that that's pretty insane for there to be. Um, oh, I was a twenty-six round season back then, so yeah. Oh, whatever. I can't be bothered to do the maths, but in a short period of time, from twelfth to fourth, yeah, it's that's pretty insane. Well, I, I'm just I've just gone back to this O five ladder quickly because we did bring up how close teams were. So the Bulldogs, who would end up finishing twelfth, um, they were five points off of the top eight, and they were nine points off of fourth. So that's not like that's not overly far. So throughout the season, it obviously would have been close. And if I go back to the Tigers here, they first got back into the top eight in round twenty, and they jumped from ninth to sixth. So yep. we look at round fifth, sorry, round sixteen, where they get that first win, and they're still twelve. But it's only four rounds later, they're into sixth. So it definitely was a close competition. And there would have been, you know, surprise results that would have helped him out and teams dropping off. Um, so, yeah, it, it's just nuts. It's crazy. I won't go through the entire Tigers side, although it's just come up here and it's, it's interesting, you know, you've got to look at players like Brett Hodgson as well, having his impact. Um, yeah, I think we, we covered most of, most of the players there. But now I want to go to the Dallium Awards night just to see who, who, who was winning all the awards. Uh, Dallium Player of the Year, we'll start off with the big one, Jonathan Thurston winning it. Now, many people believe Andrew Johns was the best player this season, but he only played half the season. The reason why people think this, though, is because Thurston played a full season, but only beat Andrew Johns. And I've not got the exact number here, but I know he only beat Andrew Johns by one point to win the Dalian medal. Yep. And Johns played half a year. So if Johns had played a full season he probably would have nearly broke the points the points record for Dally M points because if you're only losing by a point and you've played half the season, that's nuts. Yep. That's absolutely crazy through injury and going over to the Super League. And in third here, interesting because we've got a prop in third. Ben Kennedy from the Sea Eagles. Uh, okay. Former yep. premiership winner at Newcastle. Sort of, I think he retired in 2006, so he wasn't there for Manly's um, making the grand final in 07 or winning it in 08. But I think sort of just that before period, when Manly weren't quite up there, he was their best player, I think, quite easily as well. The Proven Summons medal winner, which is the fans' choice, he won it like five times. It's Nathan Hindmarsh. Yep. From your boys, the Eels nominated Darren Lockyer, Andrew Johns, and Scott Prince from the Tigers. 
Rookie of the Year, Tim Smith. As we said before, another Parramatta boy. We've also got Leon Bott from the Brisbane Broncos. He sort of, I think he had like a really good season. I think I covered Leon Bott in a post about a year ago, and he had an absolutely crazy 05. And then I think he he played in 06. I don't think he played in the grand final, but then he sort of got released, signed on with, I think, the Bulldogs, didn't play much, got released, signed with Cronulla, and I think didn't play a game before just retiring. Yeah, but, that's yeah, that's kind of sad, really, to have such a good rookie season and then... Um, Drop off like that. Yeah, wasted potential. Now, I remember this guy, this next nominee, playing when I was younger. You might have heard of him before. You might not have. He sort of popped up into, I think he was sort of in and out of first grade. And he was a journeyman player for a lot of his career. But uh, Eileen Gordon at the South Sydney Rabbitohs, does that name ring a bell? What was his first name again, sorry? Uh, Yaleen. Y-I-L-E-E-N, Gordon. No, nah, name doesn't ring a bell. Okay, well, you might know the final nominee. His name's Greg Inglis from the Melbourne City. Yeah, that, that name rings a slight bell. <laughs> Our Dalian Captain of the Year went to Scott Prince, presented by Gordon Tallis. Now, I could be wrong, but I believe Captain of the Year, not sure if it still is. Well, it wouldn't have been this year because of COVID, but the previous winner presents the new winner, so I think Talos might have got it in 04. Scott Prince gets it in 05. The nominees are Trent Barrett, Nathan Kalos from your Eels, and Andrew Johns from the Knights. Uh, we go to the Rep Player of the Year, Andrew Johns. You brought it up before, and we will get into it more. Origin 2, off the back of that pretty much. Other nominees were Nathan Highmarsh, Anthony Minicello, Matt King, Coach of the Year goes to Tim Sheens. Other nominees are Wayne Bennett, Nathan Brown from the Dragons, and Brian Smith, Eels coach at the time. Uh, headline moment of the year went to Andrew Johns' origin return. However, the nominees are interesting because I feel like... I feel like he may have been unjustly given this award because another nominee was Benji Marshall's magical moment in round 21 at Toyota Park against the Sharks. Now, you may have seen highlights of this before. Basically, the people trying to figure it out, it's the other Benji Marshall step and flick pass that you've seen that wasn't the grand final. Yeah, was that... It was played in the daytime as well, wasn't yep. it? Yep. Sunday afternoon. Yep, yep. Uh, yep, I, I remember that. Yeah, that was an insane play. Um, that was probably yeah, more it, impressive. Yeah, honestly, yeah, that probably should have... Yeah, got the award. Yeah, and then the other one, which is a try that I, I, I know I've seen at Brookvale Oval, Ty Williams from the Cowboys. Now, I don't think you should have won it over Benji, but I, I would personally, probably just for a moment, have it over Andrew John. So what happened was it was like, I think Manly dropped the ball over the try line or something, and it was like right before the dead ball line, Ty Williams picks up the ball, and he just runs the the length of the field. No manly player can get him, and he literally runs from like from dead ball line to dead ball line. So that's 120 meters um, to score a try. If, if you can, there's highlights out there of it. I'd say it would be more covered if it wasn't for the two bits of Benji magic. But it's still an awesome try 
from Ty Williams against the Sea Eagles in 2005. Um, top point scorer, Brett Hodgson from the Tigers, 308 points. Uh, we had a tie for top try scorer, which is Sh- Sean Berrigan from the Broncos got 19 tries and Billy Slater from the Storm. 19 tries there. Anything to anything of note, I guess, from our try scorers, our point scorer, or even the headline of headline moment of the year? Um, no, fairly fairly standard, I think. Yeah, I, I'd say Berrigan as well was playing in the centres in 05, so he would have had more opportunity to, to score. I won't go through the nominees for this one, but I'll quickly run through the team of the year. At fullback, we have Brett Hodgson from the Tigers. Uh, winger, we had a Parramatta boy, Eric Grove. Center, Mark Gasnier from the Dragons. 5'8", Benjamin Marshall. Halfback, Jonathan Thurston. Lock, Ben Kennedy. Second rower, Nathan Hindmarsh, another Parramatta boy. Prop, Luke Bailey. At the time, the Dragons were going to the Titans. And hooker of the year, Danny Badiris from the Knights. So there we go. That's the Dalliam Awards ceremony. Any any sort of way to sum up the Dalliam Awards? Um, not really. I'm surprised to hear uh, Luke Bailey's name in the team of the year because maybe I was just disrespecting him. But I, well, obviously he made the NRL, so he's obviously better than the average person. But uh, I never really thought that. I mean, I guess when I started watching him, he was at the back end of his career. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I had no idea he made a, a team of the year. So yeah, that's news to me. Well, there we go. We'll quickly go through Origin. I mean, game one, Queensland would win 24 to 20. They bring Andrew Johns back for game two. And we know what happened there. 32 to 22, that would end up. Game three, 32 to 10. New South Wales would win comfortably at Suncorp to win the series. Now, before... I quickly go over who actually played. Is there anything of note from this Origin series? Um, I mean, there's Andrew Johns. What was? Yeah. Was there really anything else that is memorable from this series? Not really. I think I remember. I could be wrong, but for some reason, I have memories of my sister giving me like a, a 2005 NRL like DVD thing. It was like going over the season or whatever. Um, and yeah, they brought up Andrew Johns and I think there was, Oh, my little brother yelled in the background there. Sorry. Um, there was a bit of, oh, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure there was like a bit of controversy bringing Andrew Johns back into the team because it was like his – was that his first games back or did he have some games for the Knights that season before playing Origin again? I think it was his first game back from injury. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, there was a lot of questions on whether he should have been brought in and that. And, yeah, he absolutely, absolutely killed it. Yeah. Actually, you know what? It was his first game of the season because he got injured in 04. Yep. I think it was something to his knee, like tore something, and then came back, played that game, played a few games for Newcastle which obviously they ended up going on that bit of a winning run towards the end of the year, still came last. And then he went over to Warrington in the UK, 
but we'll quickly go through. So this is the New South Wales squad. Fullback for all three games, Anthony Minicello, who would get man of the match in that game three. Matt King was the winger, was on the wing for all three games. But on the other wing, we have Luke Rooney for games one and two and Tamana Tahu for game three. Centres were the Dragons pairing with Mark Gasnia and Matt Cooper. For game one at 5-8, we would have Trent Barrett. But for the rest of the series, we'd have Brayson Astor, which considering the Bulldogs' form, and I guess his form dropping a bit, was a bit of a surprise, but it worked out in the end. Halfback for game one was Brett Kamali, and for games two and three, Andrew Johns. For game one and three, uh, Luke Bailey started at prop, and in game two it was Steve Simpson from the Knights. Uh, Hooker and captain for the entire series was Danny Badiris. The other prop for the entire series was Jason Riles from the Dragons. Second rowers for the entire series, Nathan Pinemarsh and Craig Fitzgibbon. Lock for the entire series, Ben Kennedy. On the bench for the first two games, the utility player was Craig Wing. Uh, really good utility player, arguably the best of all time, arguably. Game three, we had Craig Gower from Penrith, who was an out-and-out halfback. Um, the other interchange, Steve Simpson was on the bench for game one. Steve Menzies came onto the bench for the game two and three. Uh, we had Anthony Watmo on the bench in game one. Luke Bailey would go to the bench for game two before going back to start in game three, and Steve Simpson back on the bench um, in game three. And Andrew Ryan was also on the bench for all three games. Ricky Stewart, the coach. Any takeaways from this New South Wales side? Maybe any surprise admissions? Um, no, not really. That That's a gun side re- with you reading it out there. I, this is all like news to me. I'm learning all this for yeah. the first time. So, yeah, that's a that's a really, really good side. Um, did Brett Kamali play... Well, obviously, it's Andrew Johns and New South Wales lost their first game, so they would have been panicking. But um, do you know if Brett Kamali played bad in the first game? Like, was that the reason he was dropped or was it just Andrew Johns is coming back? We need to put him in. Well, it's sort of... I think it's more Andrew Johns. He might have played a bad game, but I don't remember it being... Like, enough to warrant him getting dropped. Yeah, well, I, I, you don't hear about Brett Kamali's terrible performance in Origin 105. So yep. it's not, it wasn't necessarily that bad that it was memorable. It was actually 20-all at full time, and they went to Golden Point and Queensland scored a try, mm-hmm. um, which I'm just looking at here. Matt Bowen in the 84th minute in game one. But it, oh, yeah, I remember that try as well. Yeah. I've seen videos of that, yep. I guess it is... Yeah, it was an intercept pass. Um, well, there you go. Brett Kamali threw the intercept there to Matt Bowen, so that could have had an impact. But New South Wales have won the two series before. They lose this game by four points. That's literally what happened this year, at least in game one. And then people panic. For some reason, when New South Wales lose Origin 1 by four points after winning the series the year before, there's a bigger outcry and a bigger panic than if Queensland lose game two by a fair bit, which they they lost by 10 in this series. But you look at New South Wales, there were were a few changes from game one to game two when, I mean, they won the series in the end, but they probably shouldn't have been because they lost by four points. I mean, Anasta coming in for Barrett, Barrett was doing great in clubland, 
maybe had one bad origin game, but Anasta wasn't doing too great at the Bulldogs. Um, Andrew Johns ended up being a stroke of genius. I mean, they swapped Luke Bailey and Steve Simpson in game two, then back in game three. And actually, you know, there wasn't too many changes from game two. Sorry, in game two, but um, yeah, I mean, there was still, still a couple of questionable changes, I guess you can say. I don't know what impact Luke Bailey coming off the bench would have, what difference. And Andrew Johns, I mean, uh, obviously did what he did, but we'll quickly go through Queensland. Fullback for games one and two, we had Billy Slater. Game three, we had Matt Bowen. Uh, on the wing, which that... Oh, no, Matt Bowen's on the bench for games one and two. Don't worry. Um, game one, yeah, Billy Slater played at fullback games one and two. Matt Bowen, game three. Uh, the Cowboys wingers, Ty Williams and Matt Singh, were on the wing. Um, the centres were Sean Berrigan and Paul Bowman from the Cowboys. Lockyer and Thurston would be five, eight and half back. Game one, Steve Price started at prop. Game two, Brad Dawn started at prop. And game three, we had Danny Nutley start at prop. That's the name. Um, Cameron Smith at hooker. Pedro Sivanasiva was the other prop for all three games. Michael Crocker was, played second row for all three games. Brad Thorne actually played second row in game one, went to prop in game two, went back to second row in game three. Carl Webb played second row in game two. We had Chris Flannery at lock the whole series. Ben Ross on the bench the whole series. Carl Webb was on the bench for game one. Dane Carlaw game two. Corey Parker, game three. Casey Maguire, for games one and two, was on the bench before being replaced by Ashley Harrison in game three. Matt Bowen was on the bench for games one and two before, of course, starting in game three. Tony Carroll came onto the bench in game three. Michael Hagen was the Queensland coach. Uh, any Anything to take away from this Queensland side? Um, yeah, well... Again, it's a good side, very good side. Who was playing dummy half again? Uh, Cameron Smith. Oh, okay. Yep, yep. Um, so, obviously, you can see with the spine there how they were pretty much destined for success the following eight years, which they did. But, um, yeah, I honestly do think with well, that, that spine was still young. So, I, I still think New South Wales have the better side at the time. But, yeah, just hearing those names for Queensland, knowing how young they would have been, um, yeah. There was no. It was inevitable. Inevitable that they would have had their big of uh, their big run of success. Yeah. Well, I don't know whether or not he would have been injured, but Billy Slater was actually dropped after game two, completely with Matt Bowen coming in in game three to start. Um, Danny Nutley's not a name I remember. Uh, yeah, that name confused me as well. I was. That's the first time I've heard it. Yeah, well, he played uh, for Queensland and he played for the South Queensland Crushers before going to Cronulla. So the Crushers went out of commission in 98, 99. So he had been playing for a few years. Um, but that's weird. He wasn't on the bench at all in game one and, one and two. And in game three, they started him at prop. Maybe he played Origin before, I'm not too sure. Um, but that's for another time. Last but not least, I want to look at attendances because 
In 2005, the NRL recorded its largest average weekly attendance to games ever, and this has not been topped. They averaged 16,468 fans per week to games. The closest we have come to that since was... 2012, where we had 16,423. So that's really close, but we got, yeah, that's that's 2012 there, sorry. Uh, we also had 16,406 in 2010, which of course is another season that we covered. But 05 still takes the cake. And I remember seeing stuff back from 2005 highlights where they're like, this is the greatest year of rugby league of all time. We've broke attendance records. Everything's on the up. You know, we're going to continue to grow and it's going to be huge. And to this day, that's still the highest weekly attendance. Um, The team with the highest average attendance. I'll give you one guess. Who do you think, which team do you think had the highest average attendance each week? Um, well, I'm going to, I feel like I could be wrong. I feel like it's going to be an outside, like it could be the Eels because of their success, but I'm just going to be safe and say the Broncos. Yep. Yep. Wasn't even close. Like Brisbane averaged 30,000 per week. And funnily enough, 2020 is the first year in over two decades that they have not been on top. And although COVID did have an impact, Brisbane still realistically, because they had the high, one of the higher allocated capacities because they played in the second biggest stadium, they still probably, you know, the COVID probably didn't have an impact on Brisbane not getting top spot again. I think it was because they came last. But anyway, um, that's another story for another day. But 30,331, Brisbane had the highest attendance. In second, we had the North Queensland Cowboys averaging. Oh. And here's, here's what's impressive. Suncorp Stadium's capacity is 50,000. So to average 30,000 a week, that's great. Cowboys averaged 20,590 fans per week. The capacity of Dairy Farmer Stadium, I think, is like 22,000. So they were close to selling out each and every week. Um, The Tigers weren't too far off. They averaged 18,789. Your boys, the Parramatta Eels, averaged 16,264. I'll do the same as what I just asked you before. Who do you think had the lowest average attendance? Um... And I'll tell you now, it's not Newcastle. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of a team that isn't that popular and didn't have a great year. Uh, well, can I give you a hint that might give it away? Yeah. There was a game that we were talking about in the final series before where the selection of where it was played seemed a bit odd. However, this would be a good reason for why it happened. Melbourne. Yep. Yep. Wow, I, that's surprising to me as well because they usually get decent crowds. So, 
Well, today they definitely do. I think the move to Amy Park changed so many things because they played at the old Olympic Stadium, which was sort of away from things a little bit. But now they're in, in the actual hub at Amy Park. So um, have you ever been to Melbourne before? No. No, I, I never have either, but I really want to go because literally there is a sports complex, which is it's very accessible, like with train lines. And if you want to drive, like apparently it's a lot more accessible than ANZ. In this complex, you have the Rod Laver Arena, which is where the Melbourne, uh, sorry, the Melbourne, the Australian Open is each year. You have the Melbourne Cricket Ground, Eddie Had Stadium, which is now Marvel Stadium, I think, and Amy Park all in that same complex. So I think that's helped them out a lot because Melbourne usually average around 17,000, 18,000 now. In 2005, they averaged 8,889. Sorry, 8,898, which I'd have to... I'm just going to quickly check in 2019. I won't go off 2020 because it's a bit of a write-off, but in 2019... The Dragons had the lowest average attendance, and that was still 9,813. So that was a yeah. lower than 2019, which I thought I thought was interesting because we have our highest average weekly attendance overall. Teams are up in the high teens for the for the thousands, of course, are up in the high teens. But we have the Storm who are. Averaging crowds below even what we'd expect today. So I just thought that was interesting, I guess. Um, for is, is there anything you wanted to bring up about these attendances here? Anything of note? Any um, things you wanted to know about? Uh, I'm, well, I'm just kind of surprised and wondering if you know why there was such a, a spike of interest that year in attending a rugby league game because when I think back, like well, maybe the brand of footy they were playing was exciting or whatever, but I can't think of any reason why 2005 in particular was the, like a big season in terms of crowd numbers. I can guess that on average um, ticket prices would have been lower. They wouldn't necessarily yep. have been cheap, but lower. Um I brought up before, we look at that ladder, right? How close the ladder was throughout the season. That had an impact as well because teams would have been able to make the finals for longer. Um, A lot of people were talking about Benji's impact. And, you know, but I'd say that it obviously improved attendances at Tigers games. But I don't think you can use Benji Marshall's great season as a reason as to why thousands of people would be clamouring to see the Raiders take on the Knights. You know what I mean? Um, mm, yep. But I did see something on the Wikipedia um, advertising. So th- this is Wikipedia as, as well. And look, you obviously, Wikipedia's we're using Wikipedia as a source here. And like, it's obviously not perfect, but I can't see too many people going and putting in false information in the 2005 NRL season. I mean, especially when I've looked over it before. Um, But we look at advertising, and this is what it says here. In 2005, the NRL and their advertising agency, MJW Haku Hodo, for the third year running, stayed with the Hoodoo Gurus, That's My Team soundtrack, and developed three different musical executions. 
The campaign focused on the association of strength with the game and the ads featured three different musical interpretations of the song, all without vocals. Each was created intending to bring out the positionings of rugby league characteristics of strength of body, strength of mind, and strength of character. Outdoor soup. Now, this is where I, I think maybe it helped out with attendance. Outdoor super sites also featured in suburban locations in New South Wales and local cinema versions of the TVC which I'm not quite sure what that is, ran with a call to action inviting fans to attend a game of the team local to the cinema location. So I guess, I mean, obviously that wouldn't have been the sole reason, but I'd say... It would have contributed for sure, yeah. Yeah, there's a bigger commitment to marketing. There's a bigger commitment to actually getting fans to go to games. There's more active advertisement in suburban areas. So that was interesting. And obviously that's my team as a soundtrack was huge from 03 to 07. But yeah, that was interesting to see. So outdoor super site. So sort of, I guess, these NRL setups in suburban areas, getting people to go to games. It obviously had an impact, right? I can't see that being the sole impact. There was other contributing factors. You obviously had to have a good product at the time for people to um, go to more than one game, I guess. And, yeah, I mean, there's not too too much else for me to say there. What, what are your sort of thoughts on, I guess, the attendance? If you had to think back, is there anything else that comes to your mind as to why this was happening um yes not really do you know what the 2006 attendance was was there like a fair drop off or was it kind of similar uh, well i'll get it up now um i've got the yeah because yeah that would be interesting to to kind of see whether there was like a, a decent i can't imagine there being a huge drop off but surely like a, a slight one well i'll start off with 2004 so we'll go the season before the season yep. after 2004 Weekly average attendance was 14,670. 2005 is 16,468. So that's nearly 2,000 more. That's about 1,800 more. 2006, 15,600 exactly. So that's nearly 1,000 less. So that's interesting. Uh, We'd go back up in 07. Uh, to 15,750. We would get back to 16,000 in 09, 16,069. Then for the next three years, we'd stick in the 6,000s with the record almost being broken in 2010 with 16,406 and in 2012 with 16,423. And especially in 2012, like that was like within like 100 people uh, since then, we've never been back to the 16,000s. Between 2013 and 2016, we were well and truly in the 15,000s, although we got close to 16,000 in 13 and 14. But then there was, yeah. wow, uh, 2014, 15,905 to 2015, 15,074. That's nearly a 1,000 people dropping out there. I wonder if that has something to do with um, maybe I could be completely wrong, but
but the uh the surge of like ko and the nrl live app and stuff so it's so much easier to just uh watch the game at home nowadays and um yeah maybe something to do with time slots and where games are i'm I'm not too sure um i remember back in the day well not even back in the day it's not that long ago but um watching the footy on channel nine and there'd be both uh friday night games usually you'd have the broncos one and then you'd have the other one that both be played at eight o'clock and you'd watch the first game which would be whoever v whoever and then they'd always show a replay of the broncos game afterwards and i'm assuming the time uh it would have worked better for for Brisbane fans, I don't know. Maybe that has something to do with it, but I, I can't really pinpoint anything for the reason of a drop in numbers at games because I personally think that footy's getting better every year. So I can't see why the crowds would drop, but I'm not sure. Well, in 2017, we actually dropped back into the 14,000s for the first time since since 2004. Uh, so that yeah. was a significant drop overall. But then 2018, we got back up to 15,200. 2019 was 15,030. 2020, obviously, because of COVID, it was 2,780. However, we can sort of assume, if not for COVID, traditionally, Penrith had their best season ever this year in terms of a regular season. And I know we're getting off topic here a bit, but traditionally, whenever Penrith have done well, they get sellout crowds every week. So Penrith would have averaged around 17,000 this year. Brisbane still... I have a feeling, although I said COVID didn't have an impact, I just have a feeling that if we had normal crowds, Brisbane still probably top the chain, even if it's around just like 25,000 or something. Like, that. Like last year, for example, they had 30,000 and in second was Newcastle with 20,000. So, like, there's still that gap. The Cowboys this year in 2020 with COVID crowds had the highest average attendance. I'm not sure if they dropped too far. Parramatta would have probably taken Newcastle's second spot and could have possibly broken into that 20,000, I truly believe. So I think attendance, mm. I'm just looking here. I don't think we would have got back to that 16,000 because that's that's a huge leap. But I feel like we could have got above 15,030. I feel like attendances would have improved this year. And I think we'll find, yeah. at least in the first few weeks of 2021, I think attendances will spike because for the first few weeks we'll have near full crowds just because we can have full crowds again. You take something away from someone, even if not a lot of people were going to games, you take away the ability to go to games for so many people. When you give that back to them, they'll come in droves for that first little bit. Uh, But that's just something, I guess, interesting, and we could go into attendances more um, in, in in another episode. But, you know, just a way to end things here. I'm going to ask you what's... Just to end, what's one one interesting thing you've learnt today, I guess, or one interesting takeaway from the 2005 NRL season? Uh, honestly, that uh, that uh, 12th to 4th place run from the Tigers, uh, I had no clue at all that that happened. And uh, that's honestly so amazing. Well, like, 
and the like obviously the ladder was as close as it was, but to go from twelfth to fourth within eight games pretty much is um yeah, it's insane. Yeah, well I, I don't think there's anything else to say. As good as Andrew John's return was and as good as the Benji Marshall moments were overall for the Tigers to go on that run and then go on to win the premiership. You never say never. Yeah. But I tell you what, if it's done again, it's going to be something special. Uh, Cooper, thank you for joining me today to look back at this amazing season. If you're listening to this and you've really enjoyed the season review, send in a season that you want to see us cover next, a season that maybe your team won the premiership in or a season that was special for you for whatever reason. Let us know. We've now covered, well, it's been a year apart. Hopefully this is more than a yearly tradition, but we covered 2010 last year. Now we've covered 2005. Let us know. And I'd be interested to go right back to like a an 80s or even a 70s season and we can look back purely from a hindsight standpoint because we most certainly were not alive then. But um, yeah, I'm rambling on now. But Cooper, thank you so much for joining me today and we'll get back into it soon.